Good evening. Hopefully you grabbed a handout on your way in. Uh, that'll be helpful for you as, you, as we wake, make our way through our message this evening. And I want to start by having you think of someone who you can count on. So try and get someone in your mind uh, who you can count on. And to help you uh, kind of think about this, um, give you some prompts. It's, it's comforting to have someone in your life who you can count on. Maybe it's your mom or dad. Maybe it's a grandma or grandpa. Maybe it's your spouse, a best friend, or a brother or sister. Maybe it's someone here at church. Maybe it's a teacher, a pastor, a co-worker, a boss. Someone you know um, will always be there. So someone you can count on is always there. They're always available. They're willing to drop everything to help. Someone who is reliable, they come through on promises. They can be counted on. And as you think about that person um, and you get someone in your mind, there's, there's a real sense of comfort uh, knowing you have that person around or you're going to see them at church next Sunday or even that they're just a phone, way, a phone call away that you could call them and they'll either answer or, or they'll get back to you soon. Um, there's someone who can be counted on. And tonight, we find in our section of Psalm 119, we're in the 12th section of Psalm 119, so uh, right past halfway through this large psalm, and it's headed by the 12th letter in the Hebrew alphabet, and we see that it declares and shows the Word of God can be counted on. So that's our theme uh, for these verses, God's Word can be counted on. So what I want to start off by doing is I want to read this psalm or this section of Psalm 119 uh, in its entirety. Then I'm going to make a few introductory ver uh, comments, and then we'll move into studying each of these verses. So look with me at Psalm 119, 89 through 96 on the front of your handout. It says this, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have, you have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day. For all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. So that's our section, and, and as we make our way through this tonight, I'm going to be um, touching on every single uh, one of our verses. But um, as Pastor Dave said, this is a, a portion of Scripture I've been working through, so I, I certainly don't expect any of you to remember my last message in this, as it's been a couple of months um, since I've looked at Psalm 119. So just to kind of review, what is Psalm 119? Psalm 119 is a portion of scripture that is all about God's word. Almost every single verse of Psalm 119 mentions God's word in some way. Psalm 119 gives us a glimpse into the psalmist who writes Psalm 119's life. It shows how he views and how he handles and uses God's word. Psalm 119 is a helpful passage of scripture specifically for us uh, as it challenges us to read the word of God to memorize the Word of God, to think about it, and to obey it. Psalm 119 is also a very real psalm. 
as it shows us how we should be in the Word and how the Word of God can help us even as we experience suffering. So one of, or the, the largest theme of Psalm 119 is the Word of God. But a secondary theme is specifically how you handle the Word of God or how you go to the Word of God in suffering. And we certainly will see that in our section of Psalm 119 uh, this evening. But just to, just to review very briefly the previous section to ours tonight, uh, which was Psalm 119, 81 through 88, it showed the psalmist at rock bottom. So um, as you work your way through Psalm 119, there's certainly suffering in, in the beginning sections of uh, Psalm 119. The psalmist shows that his life's not easy. He's dealing with persecution. But when we come to the section right before ours this evening, it shows the psalmist has hit an all-time low. But he showed that he continued to rest upon the word of God. And now as we move into the second half of Psalm 119 with our section this evening, it really answers the question how the psalmist could rest upon the word of God when he hit rock bottom. We find a unique portion in Psalm 119 uh, in our section this evening that declares what the Word of God is. So it, it gives specific attributes. It gives uh, the nature and the character of the Word of God in our section of Psalm 119 this evening. Uh, and that leads us to our first point. And if you haven't flipped over to the second page already, you can do so. And we'll look at our first point in the first section of, Psalm, uh, of our passage and that's where we get two qualities of the Word of God as they're declared by the psalmist. And this, this is covered in Psalm 119, 89 through 91. The first quality that we get uh, is the psalmist speaks of the permanence of God's Word. Look with me at Psalm 119, 89. It says, Forever, O Lord, your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. So we see this permanence, this permanence of the word of God in three ways. The first way is that God's word is said to last, as it says, forever. Forever, O Lord. It means, this word forever means that it never ends. It goes on and on. It's eternal. It's everlasting. It's not going anywhere. That is what is meant by this word forever. The second way we see this permanence is we see God's word is said to stand firm. As it says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed. Firmly fixed means that it's position. It stands. And, and even more so, the idea is that it stands firm. The idea is that it's solidly positioned. It's there to stay. But not only do we have the idea that God's word isn't going anywhere, but also the idea here is that it cannot be changed. As it's firmly fixed, it can't be changed, it can't be adapted, can't be adjusted. The word of God is firmly fixed. So we see God's word is never ceasing and it's never changing. And then third, we see that God's word is said to be apart from this world. If you look again at verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed. And then we get this phrase, in the heavens. The idea is that the psalmist is trying to show that the word of God is a, apart from this world. This world is constantly changing. Things come and go. Heaven's where God is. And his word is there as well and it's firmly fixed there forever. So the first quality that we get that the, the psalmist is trying to tell us about the word of God is that it's permanent. It's lasting. It cannot be changed or influenced or adjusted. What it says will continue on and on. 
to give the illustration of a permanent marker. So if we think about something that's permanent, we might think of a permanent marker. The idea is that what is written with it cannot be removed. It cannot be changed. It's, it's permanent. It's there to stay. Now, of course, we know there, there are solutions uh, that we can use to erase a permanent marker. So it really isn't permanent. But the word of God is, and that's what our psalmist is trying to get across right at the start, that it lasts. It cannot go away. It cannot be removed. It cannot be changed. Nothing can erase it or get rid of it. Give you a second illustration. This is a biblical illustration. Um, I don't know if it's a story that you're familiar with or not, but um, in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 36, I want to read this first uh, portion of Jeremiah 36, and then I'll, I'll fill in a few of the details, and then we'll read the second. Look with me at Jeremiah 36, verse 2. We get some instructions to the prophet Jeremiah from God. It says, take a scroll and write on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations from the day I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. So in verse 2, God tells Jeremiah to write down all the words that he had given to the prophet Jeremiah on this scroll. So just to fill in. Between these two passages I have on your handout to fill in the story for you, Jeremiah has a man named Baruch, and, and he has him write down uh, God's word at his dictation. So Jeremiah tells him the words, and Baruch writes down uh, these words of God. And, and the story goes in Jeremiah 36 that uh, Baruch writes them down, and Jeremiah has him go and he has him read these words to the people. And eventually it comes to uh, the king at the time. The king's name is Jehoiakim. And, and God's word comes to Jehoiakim. And as Jehoiakim hears the word of God read, the, the portion that um, Jeremiah had Baruch write down, uh, as Je King Jehoiakim has them uh, or hears them read, he takes a knife and he takes this scroll and he, he, he takes portions. He cuts portions of the scroll off and he chucks it into a fire pit burning it, trying to get rid of it. He obviously did not like it. He was rejecting it. He didn't want to hear it. And he burns this whole scroll that Jeremiah has taken the time with Baruch to write down, trying to get rid of the word of God. So then we come to the, the second portion of Jeremiah 36 I've, I've put on your handout for you, and we get this. Look with me at Jeremiah 36, 27 through 28. We see the word is per permanent. It says... Now after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Baruch wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim the king of Judah, has burned. So we see, and, and this is a, a visual picture for us, that the word of God is permanent in that we see Je Jehoiakim, he couldn't destroy the word of God. He may have thought he was getting rid of it when he burned up this scroll, but we see in this second passage that God's word remains. And we are shown this by God having Je Je Jeremiah write all these words once again. So it's a visual picture for us that the word of God is permanent. That's what the psalmist is trying to show us here, and we see this all over the scriptures. So the first quality we're to see is the permanence of the word of God. Now second, look with me at B. We come to a, a second quality that the, the psalmist is trying to get across, and that's 
the sustaining power of God's word. And this is covered in verses 90 through 91. So we've seen God's word is permanent, and now we see it has a sustaining power. The first point I want to bring to us is that, or before we zero in on our quality, we get a line that connects both qualities. Look with me at Psalm 119, verse 90. It says, your faithfulness endures to all generations. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. This first line of verse 90 um, seems to be somewhat of a transitional phrase uh, in in the whole of this section of Psalm 119. And it's actually a difficult phrase uh, to understand what it's exactly trying to get across. How does it fit in with the rest of the verses? But the idea seems to be that it's not just that the word of God is up in heaven, as as verse 89 uh, shared with us. That's not just up in heaven and has no effect or impact upon man in the world, as we saw in verse 89. But verse 90 is saying and trying to get across that it very much so impacts and affects the world as, uh, and it's rooted in God's faithfulness. So just as God is faithful, we saw that this morning uh, in Pastor Reed's message, we see his word is faithful too. Just as God is reliable, so too his word is reliable. Just as God is steadfast, he's trustworthy, so too his word is steadfast and trustworthy. All this is tied up in this phrase, your faithfulness, in verse 90. And this is what is is ultimately going to lead us to the next quality, the sustaining power of the word of God, which is tied up in the faithfulness of God that he provides for his people, that he is there for his people. But we see also in this line of verse 90 some similar things uh, to what we saw in the first quality. So that's why I said it's a transitional phrase. We see it's moving us on to a second quality, but it also shares some things from the first quality of verse 89, this permanence. As uh, we see again in verse 90, the psalmist goes on to say that God's faithfulness, ultimately his word's faithfulness, and then we get this phrase, endures to all generations. This literally is saying from generation to generation. God's word is in every generation. It's not just in one generation and then not the other, but it continues. It moves with each generation. It cannot be left behind or forgotten. It's not a thing of the past uh, and we're moving on to bigger and better things. It cannot be revitalized or remodeled, but the word of God moves with the generations is, is the idea here. So here is this lasting and permanent quality of the word of God, and we see this very clearly shown in how we've had the word of God now hundreds and hundreds of years. If you think about it, uh, think about even a classic book that you know of. Many books come and go. They're they're written uh, over the years, and now they're out of print. They no longer exist. Meanwhile, we have the Bible that's significantly Older than these books, it's hundreds of years old, and we still have it, and it's unchanged. So verse 90 transitions us into this second quality the psalmist declares concerning the word of God, and that is this sustaining power of the word of God, meaning the power to sustain or uphold something. So we'll go to two. The psalmist shows how the earth attests to this quality. Look with me at Psalm 119. Verse 90, your faithfulness endures to all generations. And then we get this, you have established the earth. 
and it stands fast. So we see that God is credited in establishing or creating the whole entire earth. But further, further we're told it stands fast. That the earth has been created and we see that it stands. It still works and continues as God has created it. So move to three. Then the psalmist shows that it's ultimately the word of God that sustains the earth. Look with me at Psalm 119, verse 90 and 91. It says, Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. So the psalmist is trying to get across here that um, it is God who sustains the whole entire earth, and specifically he's trying to say it's the word of God that sustains the earth and all things in it. And, and we see, one, uh, this phrase, by your appointment, or this word appointment literally speaks of the word of God. Appointment um, could literally be translated rules. So it's God's word that causes the earth and all things to stand and continue as they've been created. And we've, we see this in we see this in the Bible, and, and specifically first, that uh, God has created the whole earth uh, by his word, as I have two passages listed there. Genesis 1-3, we see it's by his word that the earth has been created, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then Genesis 1, verses 6-8 says, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. So it was by God's word that all things were created. And now we see very clearly in, in this section of Psalm 119 that it's by God's word that these things continue as they are. They are sustained. Go to 4. And we see the sustaining power of God's word in all things. If you look at verse, the last line of verse 91 again, it says, For all things are your servants. It's trying to get across that God's word has power over them to direct and cause things just as it has already been said that he does this for the earth. Everything that is in the earth, God holds together and provides for all of these things. If you think about this, um, this, these qualities of the Word of God, I want you to think specifically about this second quality for a moment. So let's pause. And I want you to think about this sustaining power of the Word of God and how it compares to our words. At God's Word, the earth continues on. It continues to function as it does. At God's command, all things, all things in the earth operate as they do. Think about your Word. Think about your words. You can talk, you can command, you can even demand. But our words don't have the power to force people to do things or to do what we want them to do. Our words don't have that kind of power. But God's word does. As we see in this second quality, as these verses talk about the sustaining power of the word of God, it causes things to continue. It upholds them and keeps them together. So I, I want us to think about some application. And we're going to move a lot further into application as we move on in this psalm. But just to get our, our minds thinking, I want us to think about the questions, 
how should this impact us? As we think about God's word's permanent, God's word is sustaining, what's this got to do with us? How should this impact us? How should this knowledge of God's word that it's permanent, it sustains, how should that change our lives? How's it instructive for how we relate to the Bible? Uh, as I said in a moment, as we get a glimpse into the psalmist's life, we're going to see some ways uh, that this should impact us. But just to get us thinking uh, and to lead into these verses, it goes back to what we thought about in the beginning, that it's a comfort to have someone you can count on. And just as it's a comfort to have someone you know will be there, who's available, who's consistent, who's constant, you know they're not going away, so too we find the word of God is something we can surely count on. It's permanent. It lasts. It's there. It's not going anywhere. It can never disappear or be destroyed. It can never be changed or adjusted. And then second, as we think about what's this got to do with us? Just as it's a comfort to have someone you, who can help you, who can provide for you, they can bring comfort and hold you up in tough times, so too the word of God can be counted on as it has power to sustain us. If God's word can sustain the earth and even further the universe that he created, he can surely sustain and provide and help us in our lives through his word. So if you think about that, the psalmist has given us maybe the greatest thing that God sustains, the biggest thing, the most complex thing that he can sustain the whole entire earth to allow it to operate so we can have confidence to know he surely can help us and provide for us and, and sustain us in our lives. So from this passage or from these verses, we should be motivated by these two qualities to have confidence in the word of God. When we're struggling, when we're in need, as we go through life, the word of God should be something that we're constantly in and constantly relying upon. And we see the psalmist lets the word of God impact his life uh, this way as we see in, in the coming verses. So our text began with two qualities of God's word, and now second, it gives us a look into the psalmist's life, and that's what we're going to see um, in our next section. We're going to look at the psalmist's life, and this is covered in verses 92 through 95. First, I want to begin by looking at the situation of the psalmist. So we're going to kind of uh, look through these verses and, and look at half of them and then come back to them with the second point of under the psalmist's uh, life, But we see the psalmist uh, in this next section, verses 92 through 95, he speaks of both past and present difficulties. He speaks of past and present situations that he was in, situations that would cause him to worry, they would cause him to feel scared, situations that would drive him to rest and depend on something. So look with me at number one. The psalmist would have been completely overwhelmed and despaired because of what he faced. As it says in Psalm 119.92, If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. So this verse shows us that he was overwhelmed. He was despaired uh, in his situation. Further, we see number two, the psalmist needed to be revived from how low his suffering brought him. As it says in Psalm 119.93, I will never forget your precepts. And then it says, for by them you have given me life. This phrase, given me life, in the original Hebrew speaks of needing to be revived. It speaks of needing to be renewed or restored, showing the low place that the psalmist was in. He says, give me life. 
He needed to be revived. He needed to be renewed because of whatever he was going through. Three, the psalmist needed to be rescued and delivered from this situation. As it says in Psalm 119.94, I am yours. Save me. Rescue me. Deliver me. It shows he's looking for help. And then four, the psalmist anticipates being attacked by others. Psalm 119.95, the wicked lie in wait to destroy me. All of this paints us a picture of what the psalmist was going through. And I think as I have there in five, that I believe a lot of us can relate to the psalmist in many, many ways. I want you to just think about your life. We see the psalmist here is overwhelmed or he's in despair. He's anxious or he's stressed. He's scared or he's depressed from the suffering that he's going through. And I think that we can relate in our lives, things we go through with the psalmist. Whatever it is, it threatens to bring you to your lowest of lows. We can assume some of the specifics of the psalmist uh, in things that he was going through. It seems as if he was go- dealing with someone who's seeking to harm him. They're out to get him. They want to completely wreck his life. And so too we can face people in life who are just out to get us. They're spreading false rumors about us. They're gossiping or insulting us. They're even mocking us to our face. We can face some of the same things that the psalmist does in our portion of Psalm 119 this evening. And in these times, we need to look to something for help. Something that we can go to. Something that will see us through and help us rebound from this suffering and even, and even teach us how to live in these tough times. If you can relate with the psalmist this evening, you might feel as if you're in the sea being tossed by the waves to and fro. Your head's about to go under with no return. You need a solid rock to grab onto and that rock we find in our passage this evening. That rock is there to save us from the tossing waves. That rock we can rest on in our suffering, in our affliction when people are out to get us. And that is God's word. The psalmist has already shown us this by telling us that the word is permanent. It's firm and sure and we can rest on it. And now he gives us his own example in how he does exactly that. So second... And letter B, as we look at the psalmist's life and how these two qualities mentioned in the beginning impact him, we see the psalmist rests on the word of God. If you look with me, number one, the psalmist finds pleasure in God's word. Psalm 119 verse 92 says, if your law had not been my delight. If your law had not been my delight, we see a pleasure in the word of God. Two, the psalmist declares that he will not let God's word out of his mind, as it says in Psalm 119.93, I will never forget your precepts. Literally, if we looked at the original language, this was written in, uh, the psalmist is saying, I will forever, never forget your word. I will forever, continually, never forget your word. That's what we get in this word, forever. So he's saying, your word lasts forever. I will remember it forever. Your word lasts, it will last in my mind. Your word is permanent, and it will permanently be in my thoughts. Three, as we think about how he rests on the word of God, the psalmist studies and practices God's word, as it says in Psalm 119, 94, I am yours, save me, for I have sought 
your precepts. And then lastly, we see how he rests on the word of God. The psalmist has his attention on God's word. As it says in Psalm 119.95, The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. Wrapped up in this word, consider, is that he's thinking about God's word diligently. He's trying to understand it. So we see how the psalmist took what he knew, and then he lived it out. He took these two qualities of the word of God, that it's permanent, that it has a sustaining power, and he rested and depended on the word of God. He knew that he could count on God's word in his times of difficulty. So we got to see how he did this as he delighted in the word of God, as he kept the word of God on his mind, as he studied and practiced it, and as he had his attention on it in the midst of his suffering. So now I want us to think about our lives and to think about uh, some application. And the first uh, way I want to help us think about some application is I want to give you a quote um, that I think James Montgomery Boyce, uh, in his commentary on this passage, I think he, he explains this really well and he directs us as we think about application uh, in a really helpful way. If you look, follow along as I read uh, this quote, James Montgomery Boyce says, when we get in trouble, we usually go to God for help, which the writer did too. But we often stop at that point, expecting God to intervene all by himself, miraculously, without any work on our part. The psalmist was wiser than we are, for while he prayed for help, he also did what he was able, able and obliged to do. He studied and meditated on the Bible. He knew that although it is God who must work, God nevertheless works through means. And in the matter of lifting us out of our trouble and setting our feet on a sure foundation, the only indispensable means of deliverance and growth is Bible study. So what Boyce is saying then, and he ultimately gives us this, this point of application, uh, when we're in trouble, when we're going through suffering, we should by all means run to God. And depend on him. But he says further that God has given us the tools to help us in our suffering. And that tool, he says, is his word. That it's not only good to rest upon God in our difficulties, but to go even further and, and turn to his word, read his word, study his word, think about his word, uh, and rest on his word. The idea that God has given us the tools. We certainly should run to God for help. But turn to his word, read his word, where we can get comfort, where we can get instruction to help us through these difficulties. The second uh, idea that I want to bring to us as we think about some application, how does this apply to us, uh, is I want us to notice even further, as we think about the psalmist's example, that it, it wasn't just when trouble came that he ran to the word of God. And all of a sudden, he started reading it, he started thinking about it, uh, he started uh, studying it, but it seems to be something that was just part of his life. Even when no trouble was there, he was reading and thinking and studying about it. Uh, this was a constant practice of his. If you look at just the past tense of these verses, Psalm 119.92, I have there under point two, it says, if your law had not been my delight... I would have perished in my affliction. The idea is that he already delighted in the word of God. It, was, it wasn't when trouble came that he suddenly started finding pleasure in the word of God, but it was before it. 
before he ever went through this, or before this ever happened to him, he delighted in the word of God. And then secondly, Psalm 119, 94, I am yours, save me, for I have sought your precepts. The phrase, have sought, shows this was already something he was doing. So I think this should be a challenge to us uh, this evening. To be in the word right now. No matter what's going on, if, if you're, things are going pretty good for you, or if things are going pretty bad, we are to rest on the word of God in our lives. Before troubles, before difficulties come, we are to be resting upon the word of God after the example of the psalmist. And then three, I just want to throw out some questions. So a lot of them, but to get us to think about uh, the example of the psalmist and just reflect, think specifically about yourself and ask yourself these questions. The first one, can you say with the psalmist that you actually delight in it? That the Bible brings you pleasure and satisfaction? Can you say with the psalmist that you will forever, never forget God's word? That you will seek to never let it out of your mind and you'll never turn from it? My question is, what are you doing now to make this possible? Can you say with the psalmist that you sought and are seeking God's word, reading it and studying it, searching it, practicing it, and following it intently? Can you say with the psalmist that you are considering the word of God? Are you thinking about the word, meditating on it, turning a verse over and over in your mind, trying to figure out what it means, what's trying to communicate, how you can practically live it out? Further, in your time of suffering right now, are you resting on God's word? In your times of suffering in the past, did you rest on God's word? And then thinking about the future, will you rest on God's word? Will God's word be that rock, be that thing that you, can, that you know you can count on in your life when you're being tossed to and fro by the waves of life? So think about those questions. Think about if they're true for you, how you need to change if they're not. We'll move to our third section. So we've seen two qualities. We've seen how the psalmist um, allows them to impact his life. And now we come to another quality about the word. And so we see our passage began with qualities or, or the nature of the word of God. And now we see the psalmist ends with another quality. So it, it ends as it began. Look with me at Psalm 119.96. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. So this verse uh, was probably one of the top two that gave me difficulty as I was studying to understand specifically what's being said here. It's, it's a difficult verse to understand, um, but it's also a neat verse when we understand it and it gives us another quality of the word of God. So A, we get a third quality of the word of God, and that is that the word of God is inexhaustible. We see this in the second line when it says, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. This word broad here means extensive, far-reaching, unlimited, measureless, comprehensive. Two, two, the idea is that the word of God covers all situation, situations, and it meets all needs. And even further, it means that its depths cannot be fully discovered. So the idea is that the relief it brings and the wisdom it gives cannot be dried up like a well can be dried up. What it offers cannot be exhausted. The word of God is an 
inexhaustible. B, the psalmist compares this to all things we know, even things we'd like to call perfect uh, or near perfect, things that are excellent or seem extensive. That's what is meant by all perfection, as we see in, in this last verse. Uh, when it says all perfection, he's talking about things that are perfect and more so things that are near perfect. We think of as almost perfect. And he says about these things, I have seen a limit. As he says, I have seen a limit to all perfection. He's saying these things have a limit. They have an end or a boundary. They cannot fully help. Eventually their usefulness runs out. They are no longer able to help or provide us what, with what we need. And the idea that the or the idea and the point the psalmist is trying to make as he closes out this section of Psalm 119 is that the word, or he's trying to, to point out the word's usefulness never runs out. It always brings help. It always can provide us with what we need. So the application is just like the other two qualities, this quality also encourages us to count. On the word of God. To know we can rest on it and depend on it. As we can know it will never not be able to help us. We will never come to it too many times. Further, this should cause us to go to the Bible first. To make it a natural habit that this is what we run to for help. To look to to address our situations that we're in. Rather than maybe going to another book. Even a, even a Christian book. Or running to someone else in our life. The Bible should be what we run to first. We will never come to it too many times. We will never use up all of what it provides. We will always be able to get something from the word of God. So the point of Psalm 119, 89 through 96, that it's trying to get across is that the Bible can be counted on as it's permanent, as it's sustaining, and as it's inexhaustible. So I'll close with this. You never have to be scared that the Bible is going away. You never have to be scared that it won't be able to help. And you never have to be scared you have turned to it too many times that its usefulness has run out. The word of God can be counted on. And we should rest upon it each and every day. When things are difficult and also when things are good. That is the 12th section of Psalm 119. Let us close in a word of prayer. Lord, I just thank you for your word. Lord, that it's, it's not an ordinary book. It's not a book written by uh, humans. But Lord, this is ultimately your word. You work through the authors of this book so that they were writing down your very words. And, and Lord, as we think about these three qualities of your word this evening, Lord, as we think about the fact that it is permanent, that it lasts, that it's not going away, as we think about your word being uh, sustaining as it upholds our life and, and brings help and, and provides for us, as we think about the word being inexhaustible, that it's something that we can continue to come back to, that we will never master this book, we will never know everything from it, that it, it will... Uh, Run out of usefulness for us, Lord. I pray that you would just cause this passage to um, motivate us and encourage us to spend even more time in your word. That it would be the first thing we'd run to uh, for help or in trials or in suffering. 
Uh, Lord, I pray that this passage would give us a greater trust and reliance uh, and rest upon your word. Lord, I pray as we go into our weeks that you would uh, help this, these truths to be real for us, that we would be in the word, that be either in the morning or the evening or all throughout our day. Uh, I pray that you would just help us to get into your word, to count on it, to trust in it uh, through everything that we encounter. And in your name I pray, amen.